Hello and welcome to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. RTR is a ministry of First Baptist Church of Gonzales, Louisiana, and strives to provide a pastoral perspective on living the Christian life in our day. To learn more about who we are and what we believe, head over to our website, www.fbcg.net. There you can access more episodes of the podcast, view or listen to more sermons and services, or use other great resources we have over at the site. Our speakers today are Jim Law, Senior Pastor of FBCG, and our Minister to Students, Alex Ray. June is designated as LGBTQ Pride Month, so today's topic is a timely question, should I attend a same-sex wedding as a follower of Jesus Christ? Pastor Jim and Alex give a biblical answer to that question, explore the reasons behind it, and discuss the best way to lovingly stand for Christ when responding to this question. Hi, I'm Jim Law here with Alex Ray, and this is Running the Race podcast episode number 22. And Alex, we come to the month of June, and what's that known for? Known as Wedding Month. If you're on social media, it's known for Pride Month as well. Right. In fact, um, my iCloud, or, or iCalendar rather, insisted that um, I be aware that uh, this is the first day of the LGBTQ Pride Month. It's all, yeah, as you mentioned also, just uh, known for weddings. And just taking a, a step back here as a Christian trying to live for, the, for Jesus Christ in this culture at this time in history, uh, I think we can look back over the last 30 years and, and hands down um, say that the LGBTQ advocates uh, in America have accomplished one of the biggest success stories in the history of our nation because virtually uh, they have achieved everything they, they have wanted as far as social change and policy goes. And perhaps the greatest victory in their lobby has been to convince the majority of Americans that gay and lesbians have a right to declare that marriage is an entitlement that they've been kept from, Mm -hmm. and now it's enshrined in law, the law law of our land. Uh, But this uh, has far-reaching impact um, throughout our uh, culture. I also read yesterday where the ESPN Sports Center uh, noted uh, that the San Francisco Giants are celebrating Pride Month by displaying pride colors on the right sleeve of their home jerseys and on the SF logo on on the caps for Saturday's game, really as an unprecedented move in Major League Baseball's ongoing inclusion efforts. I um, I thought that the comments of uh, Pastor Garrett Kell uh, were insightful. He says, I wonder how many Christians, Jewish um, or Muslim players, or coaches will refuse to wear the rainbow flag symbols and face fines and or be released. Mm-hmm. We must remember that loving someone is not the same as approving everything someone does and that we can disagree deeply and still love one another. That may be a pipe dream in some areas of our culture, but I think that really is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Sure. Uh, Jesus said we're to be light and salt and the light is not something we come up with. Uh, when we speak of light, we're speaking of truth, uh, which is centered in God, who is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Mm-hmm. But throughout culture, um, the area of entertainment, um, we, we see the advances of gay ideology and thoughts, movies, main characters becoming a martyr because of homosexual suffrage and this type of thing. It has really made an impact. And here we are talking about perhaps the the sacrament of this social movement, uh, to where marriage has been granted uh, as law in this country. So what what are your thoughts on uh, this as we look at answering the question, 
Right. And the question for the podcast, Alex, all that chit chat for, and and not getting to the question is, should I go to a same sex wedding if I'm invi- invited as a Christian? Right. Should I go to a same sex wedding? Yeah, it's a really important question. Um, and there, I think as we think about this, if we think about this as believers, I think it's important for us to say at the outset that we're not standing on some some pedestal that we're we're looking down on everybody else. That we would say that part of the the tenets of the Christian faith is that we understand that we're all sinners in need of a savior, uh, which is, which is, which is why Jesus came to save us from our sin to die the death that we deserve. Uh, could he live the life that we should live? But, and we don't, and we don't. And, and so we, the gospel is that if we put our faith in Christ to save us from our sins then we will be saved. And so we're not wanting to, to, to condemn anybody. We're not trying to, we don't want to be mean spirited, but we do want to stand on the authority of scripture. And if we think about this question, should I go to a same sex wedding if I'm invited? Uh, we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful Christians who stand on the authority of scripture. And so I think it's important as well to maybe at, at the beginning of our conversation, that time is not going, our time today is not going to allow us to really do a deep dive into uh, all the biblical texts regarding homosexuality that we're starting on the outset. From, we're, we're, we're bringing the understanding that homosexuality, uh, homosexual acts, is condemned in Scripture, and there's there's lots of things that can be said about that. Uh, that's a little bit outside of our scope uh, for for our episode today to do a deep dive, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. anyways. But uh, we're, we're beginning with the understanding that homosexual acti- activity is against God's order, uh, His creation, um, and so we're we're wanting to just think through pragmatically how should we engage. In, in this subject, how should we engage with this question? Because this isn't a light decision to make at all. Um, if, if you have a loved one uh, who, if someone can invite you to the wedding, that's someone that cares about you, you care about them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the way that we answer this isn't a light decision at all. Uh, it's one that's significant, one that, it's one that's going to have significant uh, repercussions uh, as well. Uh, because if you think about it, if we go to this wedding, and we'll, and we'll kind of unpack this a little bit more, I think, but if we go to this wedding, this so-called wedding, um, and, I, and I would say it's actually a redefinition of marriage, not actually being granted marriage, it's actually a redefinition of marriage. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a moment. But um, if we go to this this wedding, then we might be perceived as supporting this union because to attend the wedding is effectively to support it. At the same time, too, though, if we, if we don't go to it, then we, we might risk losing this valuable friendship that we have. I think, you know, we have later plans to talk about the theological reasons why we wouldn't. Uh, But I think as we kind of look at an initial response, I think how we communicate everything in the Christian life is what's so important. I, I I just, maybe the the short answer would be no, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not able to go. How would I communicate that? And why? We'll get to the why in a minute, but I think the tone, uh, just going back to the uh, this this point under consideration, is that we're all sinners, and the last thing that we need to um, um, communicate is a sense of uh, condescension and arrogance about how we right. speak about these things. So I, mean, I would suggest something like, you know, just saying, I, I value our friendship. Um, as you know, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And based upon the definition of marriage set forth in Scripture, attending is not a way for me to show my love for you. Right. That's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going back to your your point here on just seeing um, ourselves in the the same human pool of needing uh, rescue, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians 
in chapter six. I think that's an incredible statement mm-hmm. where he's talking about uh, the un- unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so don't, do not be deceived, um, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Notice the, the variety of sins here. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And again, Alex, this is not saying that anyone who commits one of these sins uh, isn't going to be uh, in right standing with God or enter into the kingdom of God. Um, th- this is speaking about unredeemed humanity, which was all of our condition mm-hmm. prior to uh, the regenerating work of, of, of the gospel in our life. Uh, so uh, will not in- inherit the kingdom of God. And I just think it's important in, in noting this, that he's clear on, uh, on what the scripture says, condemning that practice. And so he's describing people whose the trajectory of their life is defined by these things rather than um, a putting off of these things and pursuing obedience. Every Christian's a lifelong repenter. Uh, but notice he says in verse 11, such were some of you. Right. So he's writing the Corinthian congregation. There were members in that body that were guilty of each one of these sins. Um, it, yeah, I guess um, th- that is a really eye-opening. Such were some of you, but you've been washed. Mm-hmm. And so we're all sinners in need of grace, and we're not standing on some pedestal, you know, because temptation to sin comes in different ways right. to different people. And so um, we've talked about having compassion where we read reports that like 80% of lesbians were abused sexually in their past. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly there should be compassion towards that, but not uh, jettisoning the truth to accommodate human autonomy. Right. And that brings it to, I think, an important question for us to think through, which is, you know, what is a wedding all about? Uh, what is marriage all about? You know, if we're going to use these words, if we're going to talk about being married, and you know, we mentioned a few moments ago that we we would argue that that marriage, the term marriage, has been redefined. Or redefined from what? And so, what what exactly is marriage to begin with? What exactly is a wedding? Those are important. If we're going to talk about what it's not, we have to we have to be able to say you know, what it is. And so, I think we, we can say Scripture is very clear about that in, in Genesis chapter two that God created marriage. That, that marriage is a, is a thing that that God created good, is a good gift uh, from God. You know, the first one of the first songs of Scripture is when Adam sees Eve. You know, he, he breaks out and prays after he sees this woman that God has made. And so, the, and when we look at Genesis two, and you see this this intimate union between Adam and Eve, that this isn't just any normal relationship. This is something significant, and uh, it's a special and, and unique relationship. And so when we think about what marriage is, I think we, we first need to start turning to Scripture. What does Scripture say that that first relationship is? Right. And, um, you know, God created marriage, as you mentioned, in the book of Genesis, which I think is uh, such a foundational uh, work for not only understanding the Bible, but uh, uh, all of life, that God defined marriage as a covenantal union for life between a man and a woman as husband and wife. And uh, they complemented one another. They were male and female. Um, and so, you know, the invitation to attend a same-sex wedding is, is not a wedding. It's, it, it, would, it would be the ultimate, ultimate contradiction. It would be giving consent to something that is in direct conflict to God's Word. 
mm-hmm. reminds me, Alex, of an interview I watched um, uh, with uh, Pierce Morgan and Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback in um, California, and and really going at the heart of biblical authority was uh, uh, Warren was. Um, uh, objecting to the redefinition of the term marriage to include same-sex uh, couples. And Morgan went on to say, uh, but this term marriage is, is from the Bible, right? And then Pierce Morgan went on to say, many things in the Bible just wouldn't fly today. According to the Bible, if you, if you look lustfully at a woman in, in this audience, you, you should be stoned to death. Well, that's just not right. Right. You know, there needs to, Christians need to be able to say to objections like Pierce Morgan gave there as seeing that for what shallow and say, hold on, hold on, Pierce, that's hermeneutically flawed. You need to take a step back and, and to see that God, indeed the old Testament needs to be understood, um, as given to Israel and that the laws that were civil and ceremonial were exclusive to Israel. But God has given moral laws, communicated in the Ten Commandments, communicated in the Law of Moses, and reiterated in the New Testament. And so marriage is is reiterated uh, again and again throughout the text of Scripture. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 19, um, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And he referenced a, um, a man leaving father and mother and cleaving cleaving to his wife. Paul did so in Ephesians 5 and so forth to be able to say that this is the foundation for human existence. Mm -hmm. This came into being before government, before the church. Um, And I think of the statement in in Hebrews 13, where he says, uh, marriage is to be held in honor among all men. It's a created, it's a creative ordinance. It's to be held in honor. It is greatly dishonored when we step outside the definition that God's given. Right. And so again, when we say about what we ask the question, what is marriage to begin with? And I think an important question to add into that is, that, again, why is it only two people? Why, you know, we, if we ask these kind of questions, we want to redefine marriage to be, to, to be two people of the same sex, which is the uh, conversation for today. You know, if we ask the question, why does it have to be only two people to begin with? Uh, what's so special about the number two? And I, w- I was reminded of an article that came out, um, I think, within a week or two after the Obergefell decision back mm-hmm. in 2015 that legalized same-sex marriage. And the title of it was, It's Time to Legalize Polygamy. Right. And, yeah, uh, and, this, that, per- yeah. and this person who wrote this uh, said that, you know, now that we now that Obergefell has passed, she says, now that we've defined that love and devotion and family isn't driven by gender alone, why should it, it be limited to just two individuals? The most natural advance next for marriage lies in legalized polygamy. Yet many of the same people who press for marriage equality for gay couples oppose it. And so, so this woman who's writing this is saying that, yeah, the next step now is polygamy. We, we've gotten this far. We've made some progress. progress. Now we need to go forward and get polygamy on board. And if you oppose it, you're just using all the same arguments that people use to oppose same-sex marriage. And so uh, so for this person, they're saying two, there's nothing special about the number two. You can have as many people as you would like. So if someone wants to redefine marriage, they're going to need to say that same-sex marriage is is okay and it should be accepted. They're going to need to come up with a justification and say, well, why is it only two? Why not three? Why not four? Uh, why is it only for adults? 
should children not be allowed to do that? Why? What What's the reason why they're uh, they're going to object to that? Could, should it not be uh, another question? Should it not be among family members? Should fam should me- uh, members of the same family be able to be to be married? Why or why not? Um, I, I saw an article just this past April. Uh, I think it was in New York, if I'm not mistaken, that a parent tried to marry their own child, and they they filed for marriage. And and what, did, I don't know if you saw this article, but do you know do you know what no, their I what their didn't. argument was? This was the argument. They said, "quote Through the enduring bond of marriage, two persons, whatever relationship they might otherwise have with one another, can find a greater love of expression, intimacy, and spirituality." Well, that sounds beautiful. If, if, I mean, taking out of context, but when you, then you realize, oh no, this is, this is a parent trying to marry their own child. Well, if you want to redefine marriage, how do you object to that? On what ground, what basis can someone say, no, that's wrong? And I just don't know how you get there outside of what God ordained in Scripture. So one of the, pre- the, the, um, the pressing points for uh, the same-sex um, uh, marriage is equality. You know, why are you withholding equality from them? Mm-hmm. And um, I think it goes back to the definition of marriage and why that's not something that Christians can capitulate to. Right. Um, and, that you know, again, that interview with Pierce Morgan and Rick Warren, he says, do you ever see this changing? And to Rick Warren's credit, not, n- not in my life, because it is, it is a worldview rooted in the authority of Scripture and uh, that's been bypassed, right? Right, and so and it's important too. I think uh, uh, thinkers on this have, have noted that this redefinition of marriage didn't come out of a vacuum. That it's not as if the like all the same sex marriage advocates had all grouped together and they somehow made this tidal wave of change happen all, all on their own. I, mean, I think of uh, Ryan Anderson's, um, uh, among other Christian thinkers who have noted who pointed out that the the uh, dissolution. Um, or the dilution, rather, of marriage is a decades-long thing that started back in the 70s where you had uh, uh, heterosexuals who devalued marriage by, by use of no-fault divorce, Swing, by, swinging, uh, couples, by swinging, yeah. swinging couples, uh, the, the rampant use of uh, pornography, um, uh, absentee fathers, all these sorts of things that, that are, are kind of overlapping like a Venn diagram over in, in the institution mm-hmm. of marriage. It dilutes it, it devalues it, and then this is just, this is just what we're seeing now, it's just the end result of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a decade-long process. It didn't start in 2015. It started mm-hmm. back in the 60s and 70s, probably even before then as well. I think it's interesting just to chart uh, the last 50 years with the, from the 1960s to see how our cultural changes mirror Romans chapter 1, where Paul, uh, Paul does, talks about in, in verse 24, uh, giving over to sexual sin and it moving on to homosexual behavior, lesbian behavior, and then a depraved mind where your conscience doesn't even function. And you have a culture who's now cheerleaders for rebellion against God's order. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think in answering the question, as a believer, should should I go to the uh, same sex marriage of a friend or an invitation, a family member, wh- whatever? I think another reason we shouldn't go is because we would find ourselves celebrating uh, l- life that is on the road to destruction. Right. Um, and, and that that's really again when we're thinking about how we answer this question. You know, let, let's imagine I come to you and I say, Jim, I'm, I'm, I'm getting married to, to a man this weekend and I want you to be there. You know, that, 
again, thinking through how do we answer that? And and you would say what you just said. You know, I, I couldn't I couldn't in good conscience go. Um, and how and, and how we say that? And going back to you know my earlier response is that um, you know I value our friendship, and you know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of God's definition of marriage, I'm I'm just not. This isn't the way I can best show my love and support for you. Right. Right. We we I, I don't know that we have. I don't I don't think that we have we have the room to to bend on our conviction that we can love those with whom we disagree with, uh, especially if they're family members, if they're close friends. But um, you know, what's interesting about this idea of disagreement is that I think in in much of modern society that. If we stand on biblical conviction, you're called intolerant. You're called a bigot. You're, you're intolerant. You're closed-minded. But tolerance, by definition, presumes a disagreement. That, that you're tolerating a different view. Um, if, if there was no disagreement, then there's no tolerance. It's just agreement. It's just, it's just acceptance. So tolerance, by definition, presumes that there's some sort of disagreement in place. And so if I'm going to tolerate you... Uh, or maybe some, on some sort of different view, if I'm going to disagree with you, but yet still be friends. And so I don't know that this charge of intolerance really sticks because it's just, I think it rejects, it, it's a misunderstanding of, of the word. But when we look at what Scripture says, uh, again, we need, to be, we need to stand firm to, to what we know is biblically true. I think we also look to the, to the example that Jesus said as well, where uh, Jesus constantly uh, spent time uh, with with the sinners of what the scriptures are, the sinners of his society. Uh, one, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Luke, chap- Luke chapter 15, mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite chapters, and especially uh, the first uh, two verses where it shows that now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And I, and I love that verse, mm-hmm. the two verses, because it, it shows where Jesus' heart was, that mm-hmm. he, he, he spent time with those whom. Were, were looked down upon, who were on the on the uh, the outcast, who were on the margins of society, and so and so on and so forth. And he loved them. Mm. He, he and and I think that's the model we need to follow as well. Uh, you know, in looking at this uh, on the on the wider range um, of cultural, you know, how do we engage the culture and live for Christ in this culture? Uh, certainly, we're called not to be conformed to the image of this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's Romans twelve one. Um, and two, it's, is, um, you know, just looking at, um, you know, our, our responses to that are so important, um, standing convictionally and standing on scripture is, is, is the firm foundation that we're promised. I I think in looking back at this, uh, you know, responding to attending a same sex wedding, you know, there's also theologically the picture of Christ and the, and the church. Mm-hmm. You know, that God really created marriage, designed marriage, uh, to display Christ's covenant uh, to his bride, uh, the church. And that's not replicated in a, in a same-sex union. Uh, we, what we find, too, Alex, in, in, in this question is really the pressuring for Christians to conform um, more than ever. And to not do so, you're, you're being intolerant. But I think it would be helpful to to see that our our role here as as believers as the church is a prophetic role a light and salt role and i remember something john piper said in one of his messages that salt doesn't mock rotting meat and um and so you know we want to be 
to stand with our hands open wide to receive um, those who would want to come to Christ, and mm-hmm. um, even if it's our own family members. But often that's not what's wanted. Is it, that's not what's desired. Right. The, the desire is, no, you need to come over to where we are, and that just can't happen because of God's call on our life. Um, now there are ongoing conversations. We're not, uh, old, old, old covenant Israel. We're not living under the theocracy of, of, of God's rule. Um, we're living in a representative democracy that's pluralistic to the core. Um, and there are policy decisions on how that's going to be lived out all the time. So for us talking about this, Alex, this isn't a social warrior conversation for us. Mm-hmm. This is simply, it comes back to, I had a family member who invited me, a friend who invited me to a same-sex wedding. Should I go or not as right. a Christian? And um, and how, how should I think of this incredible wave of momentum at every level in our culture to embrace LGBTQ plus um, ideology and way of life mm-hmm. as normative right. as a Christian. Right. And that goes to, um, to again, you, t- you kind of allude to this, where this, which, which side, you know, talk about being on the right side of history. We hear, we hear that a lot. And so if we don't go to this wedding, we're just being on the wrong side of history. And I've been thinking, of, been thinking a lot about that lately. And, um, you know, we, if we think about what it means to be on the right side of history, I think that's another way of just saying to go along with the culture. But it, but culture and the, and the norms of culture and the moral standard of the culture, if you should do even just a cursory look over the last 10, 15 years, five years, not even, not even that long, just five, last five years, standards change. The culture standards change, cultural standards change. And so if that's the case, then if I'm to be on the right side of history, and that means I have to change as the culture changes, which, which is to never really have any kind of real position at all. Um, and I, I'm reminded of Isaiah 40, which said the grass withers mm. and the flower fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so what side do I want to be on? I want to be on the side that doesn't change. I want to be on the side that, that not didn't just change with the wind and isn't, um, didn't go you know, to and fro based on whatever kind of pressure happened to be going on at the time. Um, but rather on the unchanging word of God who knows more than I do. Right. Kevin DeYoung said, um, that, um, you know, to the response that you're on the wrong side of history. Yeah, but I want to be on the right side of God Almighty and what and, and what he said. And um, I think of Noah <laughs> and Genesis uh, 6, 7, 8, and 9. And a prophetic word was given to Noah uh, to build a boat, an ark. And we read in Second Peter that Noah was a, a preacher of righteousness, he preached for 120 years to all the inhabitants on this on this globe, and eight were saved. Was Noah on the right side of history? No, they laughed at him, they mocked at him, they ignored his message, and on that day he got into the ark, which is a picture of Christ and God's saving grace. And he and his family were saved. And I think um, loving the truth is the key to this issue and every issue. In Second Thessalonians, there's um, a teaching of Paul where he's talking about this end-time figure, this Antichrist figure, and how the deceptions of the, you know that come from 
this world's agenda uh, kind of circulate around and uh, how do you, how do you get ca- how do you how are you kept from being swept up into the vortex of that deception and paul answers that question in second thessalonians 2 uh, by loving the truth mm-hmm. loving the truth they refuse to love the truth and be saved paul wrote therefore god sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false so alex think of that on this issue and every issue in the christian life the key from being deceived is loving the truth, not merely assenting to it. I think that's one of the problems in the church today is there's a lot of surface level assent to Christian truth and there's not a, there's not a lot of loving it. Mm -hmm. And that means you're savoring it. You're treasuring it in your heart. You're allowing it to be operative in how you think and live in the decisions you make. And, um, I think that really is the key to, to responding with courage. No one wants to tell their friend, I'm, I'm not going to come. But it's principled why I'm not going to come. And it's not because I don't care about you, uh, but because there's a lot at stake in what you're doing, and it's far from the path that I need to follow. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Running the Race Podcast. To find out more information about our church and ministry or for more episodes, be sure to visit our website, www.fpcg.net. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, a positive review would really help us out a lot. Thanks for doing that. And if you found the podcast to be interesting or helpful, recommending us to a friend or family member that you think would benefit from listening would be a great thing. We look forward to seeing you again next time. Once again, thanks, God bless, and goodbye for now.